All right, there we go. I'll face that too. Face everything. Part of this practice is to look directly at our own capacity. To look directly and to see ourselves ever more clearly, not as some small broken thing, but there's a small broken part of us, yeah. But that we are so much more than that. And then it's also to see just as we are. If you look around this room, every single person is so different and so unique. Every single person already is expressing something that is special, divine, something that nobody else can express. So it's wonderful to have this, this ongoing practice. One of the hallmarks of Buddhist practice is it starts off from the foundation of you, each of us, whole and complete, lacking nothing. It does not start off with the foundation of we are broken and let's get ourselves fixed. And if we get ourselves fixed, then all will be well. It starts off with the foundation of this very life we have is a miracle. Let's see that. Let's let go of the stuff that we have, the clases that we have put on top of it. In this context, we have a nice koan. Jogan talked about it uh, last night. I thought it might be a nice way of, of uh, emphasizing this same point in different ways. It's from the Hekigan Roku, the Blue Cliff Record. The Blue Cliff Record is one of the classic cases of koans that people go through. The Mumon Khan is usually the first, some preliminary koans, Hekigan Roku, Blue Cliff Record, the Blue Rock Record is really famous. Um, the way I think of koans is koans is like, I think I mentioned this in another talk, like Niels Bohr and Einstein are having a conversation. They're having a conversation about the nature of electrons. You know, are they waves? Are they particles? You know, what's the nature of electrons? And they record that conversation. They take out the essence of it, and they give it to somebody and say, here, understand this particular dialogue. Know this dialogue, and you'll understand something about how these great masters think about, see, experience the nature of, of uh, subtle physics. And in a way, koans are the same thing. They're a short dialogue about some aspect of the non-dual, some aspect of our life. It says, here, here's a dialogue between two people. Enter it, understand it, become it. And you'll understand something about what they're pointing to. Now, all koans are about the non-dual. All koans are not about this and that. Sometimes in the course of the non-dual, the, the dual is expressed, of course. But they all fundamentally have to be understood and have to be seen as not two things. So we have a dialogue here that's not two things. It's not about somebody else. It's not about, OK, these old guys in China. It is a dialogue, and all koans are a vivid expression of some truth about your life, or the nature of life, or the nature of the one mind as expressed through your life. This particular koan is called the Stone Bridge. It goes, uh, this is the uh, translation I like best. It's uh, Thomas Cleary's uh, translation. Uh, a monk asked Zhao Zhou, Joshu, 
uh, Joshu. Now, whether this dialogue actually happened, was somebody sitting around recording, you know, chosen back in the back office, talking to Jogan someday and having a dialogue, and somebody is sitting there writing it all down, <laughs> and then they publish it in a Cohen book. I doubt that that's the way things happened. I think that instead, the person who compiled and collected these koans took an old story and said, okay, let's take this story and let's exemplify this particular teaching with using this story. I doubt that there was a scribe saying, oh yes, this is the way it was. So what he did is he took Joshu. Joshu is the preeminent exemplar of skillful wisdom, using words, in China. An ex skillful exemplar. So he took this skillful exemplar as the protagonist in this particular story. A monk asked Joshu, Long have I heard of the stone bridge of, Cho of Joshu, of Zhaozhou. But now that I've come here, I only see a simple log bridge. Sometimes they translate it, I only see stepping stones. Um, Joshu said, you only see the log bridge, but not the stone bridge. The monk said, well, what's a stone bridge? And then Joshu says, it lets asses cross, it lets horses cross. It lets asses cross, it lets horses cross. Now, when we were in China a few years ago, we went to see the, the stone bridge of Joshu, which, according to the history things there, it was you know, probably one of the first bridges, freestanding arch bridges in China. They, maybe they got it from the Romans sometime in the 900s or so. There was nothing left of the bridge because each, each century, little pieces of the bridge get replaced. So the bridge that is there right now was probably made up of things that were uh, manufactured in the 19th or 20th century. And those things were elements that were generated at the Big Bang. And next door there's a museum of all these decrepit little pieces of, of bridge that have been taken off and replaced. So the bridge is still a bridge. And whether it's the same bridge or a different bridge, how, how do you know? You know, It's got the same bridge but lots of different elements in it. In a way, kind of like us. So it apparently was a famous bridge in China. It's a famous, one of the first freestanding bridges. These days, it's still, it's still a bridge, and it crosses a body of water which uh, doesn't flow anymore. It's, it smells, it's quite stinky, because the river that it crossed is long, long dried up. But in order to show the great bridge of Joshu, they had to put some water there, so they, they, they dug a little canal and filled it with water so you could walk over the bridge and see the water. Um, you know, that's what happens over the course of a millennium or so. So apparently, though, this bridge was famous in, in that time, one of the first kind of structures. So people heard, oh, yeah, there's this famous bridge in this place called, called Joshu. Joshu was the name of the mountain or the town. There's a famous bridge there. And in this mountain or town, it happens to be a famous teacher. And the teacher happened to be named after the town he lived in, after the temple he was there, after the mountain he was there. So somebody, somebody, a monk, is coming up and says, I've long heard about this great stone bridge, this great, great edifice, this, this architectural monument that uh, you know, is, was apparently known throughout China. I've long heard about that. And of course, he's not talking about the bridge. He's talking about Joshu. He's talking about, oh yeah, Joshu, you're also really famous. You're also this famous character. You know, I see, I hear this famous guy is, is sitting there, and I come up here, and I see, I just see an ordinary person. You know, I've heard there's this famous 
famous teacher. I don't see any famous teacher. All I see is just a, you know, just a glump. And Joshua says, well, you only see the bridge. You only see the outside. You don't really see the essence of here. Well, what's the essence? You're not really looking at, you're not really seeing the true nature of this, either the true nature of the bridge, the true nature of the teacher, the true nature of yourself. What is the true nature? What is the real thing? Real thing? And then Joshua says, let's asses cross, let's horses cross. Now, all koans are about the non-dual. It's all about the nature of our own mind. It's not about some old guy in China. It's about right here, right now. What is the true nature? What is the, the important, the vital part of us? What is the state of mind that our awakening has? And it relates to our own capacity. We have the capacity to feel all that is human. We have the capacity to feel all that is bright and clear, dark and murky. We have the capacity to feel confusion and clarity. We have the capacity to feel pleasure and pain. We have the capacity to hold in our awareness the entire range of being a human being. The entire range of being a human being. Normally, we start off the spiritual path and we think, oh, yeah, I like the good bits. You know, just take the good bits. I want the sweet bits. I want the bright bits. I want the bubbly bits. And I think I would just as soon ignore, get rid of, excise, whatever I can do with all those, those dark, unpleasant little bits and the things that I don't really like. I think I'll just kind of put them in the back there and pretend they don't exist. And maybe I'll even show a bright, sunny face so nobody knows that I actually have those in the back there. That's how people become half people. That's how people become half a person. This particular koan is about being a whole person. It's about, it's about being ordinary, about being extraordinary. It's about the state of our own mind. What is our own mind's capacity? It lets asses cross. It lets horses cross. It lets stupid things cross. It lets great things cross. It lets Wonderful ideas flow through. It lets really dumb ideas flow through. It lets us be a broken, inadequate person. It lets us be a grand and complete person. Everything passes through. Nothing. This is about the nature of our own mind, the nature of our own being. It has capacity far beyond what we think of it. So we come to Sashin, we sit there, we feel what we feel. We encounter all the things that we encounter. Sometimes you encounter brightness. Sometimes you encounter darkness. Sometimes you encounter criticism. Sometimes you encounter freedom. Sometimes you encounter spaciousness. Sometimes you encounter liberation. And it all crosses through. All just keeps moving. All keeps. What's the foundation that it keeps moving through? What's the background that it moves through? What is the, the place, if place is the right word, that it moves through. What is the nature of our being? Who am I? Who am I that can see easy and hard, light and dark? And that, of course, is the fundamental question that we all have. Fundamental question. That's the place where 
liberation is found, it's not found in I'll get a right state of mind and I'll hang on to it grimly with all of my heart and soul. And if I finally figure out how to stake it down and you know put a staple in it and hang on to it, I'll everything will be well. It does not work like that. It's impossible. Who am I? Who is it? That sees and hears and smells and tastes and touches. Now, the nice thing about the Dharma is if we think that's a thing, if we think that's a place, oh yeah, there's this place back there, there's this big spacious place back there, there's this witness back there, and that witness is witnessing all this stuff out here. That's still two things. That's not, that's not the non-dual. Our awareness and the objects of our awareness arise simultaneously. They are exactly the same thing. It is exactly the things that are passing through. It is exactly who we are. It is exactly the, the asses and the horses and everything else that passes through the nature of our own mind. That passing through itself, that capacity to allow everything to come through is an expression of our own awareness, is an expression of our own nature. And where is that nature found? It's not found inside, outside, or in between. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's large. Sometimes it's empty, sometimes it's full. Everything. So we come to Sashin not for Oh, yeah, I'll go and I'll kind of get rid of all the bits I don't like. I'll get all the bits I do like. I'll go, oh, yeah, I'll be happy. And I'll be happy, 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 happy. And then we leave thinking I should be happy, 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 happy. And we're not happy, 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 happy. Instead, we are, you know, ourselves. But our picture of, oh, yeah, I didn't want to be myself. I want to be somebody else. And then we're disappointed. So we come to session, we come to the end of the session. Everyone has had a very genuine experience. Everyone has felt deeply what they have felt. All that we need to do is let go, let our conclusions about the session to just pass through. We have a conclusion a fixed idea, we make a story, we say, okay, i got to somehow tell people something about this whole week of Sashin. So we make up a little story that somehow tries to encapsulate an entire week of Sashin and all the states of mind. And we have a little story, oh yeah, I'm a miserable failure, it was a terrible time all last week, oh, yeah, my mind was just crazy. And we think a little story and we go away with it and the story is what we come away with. We let it pass through. We let it pass through. Whereas to really communicate what actually happened during this session would take six full days and nights. It's impossible. And so we let it pass through. We let it. So as we end session, as you end session, those of you who are in session, as you're moving on, as you're here for the day, the foundation of dharma is deep respect for whatever your
particular life has brought you here and now temporarily. Most of us live in extremely fortuitous circumstances. We're at peace, we've got some resources, intelligent, temporary, temporarily. We get older, we get less and less intelligent, less and less resources. The Dharma is about whatever is passing through, whatever is passing through the nature of our life. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. We pay attention to it. We look at it. It is life itself. We somehow think, who am I? And we think there should be this, this thing, this energy, this thing that is life. But everything is nothing but our life. Everything is nothing but our life. Everything we see and hear and smell and taste and touch is nothing but our life. So as we watch our life pass through, and as we watch our unique viewpoint change and move, that appreciation and respect for that is exactly what we take with us, what we can take with us from Sashin. We've cleaned out the old crabby, grab-a-hold fixed ideas opened up to the spacious nature of mind which allows all things to pass through. And then it respects our unique concatenation of experiences. I heard somebody say uh, that they had been, uh, they succeeded by being a certain kind of person. Now they didn't want to be that kind of person, they wanted to be some other kind of person, they wanted to be themselves. We can never be anything other than ourself. And so this deep respect and appreciation for ourselves, for this life, Maizumi Roshi used to say, appreciate your life, is the foundation of Dharma. So as we end this session, as we end this morning talk, as we end my little rant here, I hope what you're left with is the confidence that every teacher has in your own capacity, your own capacity for life, for awareness, for allowing donkeys to pass and horses to pass, allowing asses to pass, and sheep and goats to pass, and pigs to pass, and human beings, and emperors, governments, Donald Trump, everything passes. And that passing itself is our life. And we cannot not do that. So from this vantage point, everyone is not about, I'll become somebody else. It's rather, I will shift my view so that I watch the panoply of life unfold and move through me. So please, have deep confidence deep respect. The one place that you can be. The one view that you can have. The one eye that sees. Not personal, but it sees through you. Do we have, is that too soon or is that, that's okay?
Anybody have any comments? We have a minute more because if we if we end too early, then if we stand down there and the chef gets excited. Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, so you've got tension in your throat. How many people in this world do you think have that same feeling? How many people in this world feel choked up and feel tension and feel dismay at their own life? Dozens? 25? 650? 6,050? Million? There's only 7 billion people in this world, so how many, how many millions might feel that same way? So on one hand, you've got, you know, I've had very bad sciatica these last couple of, couple of months, hobbling around. And, and uh, I think, how many people have had sciatica? Tens of thousands, tens of millions of people have had it. So when I appreciate my own choked upness, my own pain, I also appreciate all those people who are in the same circumstance. When I appreciate my own aspiration for liberation, I don't like this. I want to be free from this. I also know everybody wants to be free from this. And when I know everybody wants to be free from this, just like I want to be free from this, then anything that's a benefit to me or others, I want to offer. I was reflecting earlier uh, to myself. I was, you know, looking at the, the conditions, looking at my at myself, at my own um, the pain I've had uh, this last couple of months, uh, which has been pretty pretty exciting. And then reflecting on just all the people who who passed through with so much distress, so much distress, so much distress, so much distress. People are feeling, and I was thinking, what is what is it that really can help people? What can really help people? with this kind of terrible, choked-up feeling that we have? What can really help us? And first off, you know, we're new house, a new car, you know, nice food. Everybody is happy when we first get those kind of things. Everybody is. People who are well-fed are definitely happier than people who are starving. But if we look a little bit larger, what really makes the difference for myself and everybody else is the change of attitude, change of mind. So the question is, how do I use myself as a testing ground for how do I learn to help other people? So I've got this terrible, choking feeling of self-hatred and criticism and I feel inadequate, and I feel broken. So, oh, isn't that interesting? Look at that. Oh, my goodness, look at that. How did this, this ever happen? What's going on here? And we look at that <clears throat> as a kind of a, a test tube for the world. Oh, if I can just understand 
how this particular kind of suffering yeah, is, is going on, how I am causing this suffering, I will learn something about how to help other people who have exactly the same thing. And my suffering becomes not just a horrible thing I have to bear, but it becomes an education. It becomes a learning. It becomes, as sometimes I sometimes say with some people who have great suffering in their life, a graduate education in helping others. So the way we work with that is we shift our view from this is a terrible affliction, which <coughs> inevitably, you know, I definitely thought of my own pain. Oh, you know, it's a terrible affliction. I would do anything to get rid of it. But we shift our view to say, what can I learn from this thing so that I can be a benefit to others? There is something I think is wonderful in, our, in a sangha when we have people who are in recovery, who have gone through the hell of addictions and have come out and have learned through that process things they could not learn any other way and have brought that wisdom into the sangha. And that's true for our own vicious self-criticism. We learn from that and transform that into discerning wisdom. Then it becomes useful for everybody. So, maybe that's more of an answer than you wanted, but, you know, congratulations. I'm glad you got that. Use it wisely. It's not an easy gift to come by. You know, it means you've got a sharp mind with a big aspiration. One of the things I like about, um, uh, I was reflecting on with, with, with pain and suffering is the very fact that we feel pain and suffering, the very fact that we are unhappy and are suffering, that right there elicits an aspiration to be free from it. When we have our own pain, we want to be free from pain. When we have a lot of pain, the aspiration to be free from pain comes along with pain. So when we're having something that is really, really difficult, we all want to be free from it. And that, that is the aspiration for liberation itself. Our own pain, our own distress, our own inadequacy is, is simultaneously arises the aspiration for freedom and liberation if we can recognize it, if we can unfold it, if we can cultivate that aspiration. We learn something and everybody will be better off. <laughs>